I want to do a couple things now as we move toward our pastoral prayer time. The first thing that I want to do is I want to ask, ask Miss Jerry Spradling if she would come forward. We're going to do something today that we don't normally do. In 2009, we hired this sweet lady, Miss Jerry Spradling, to work in our office to be our church administrative assistant. And for the last 12 years, she has been as steady, dependable, responsible, honest, and hardworking as we could have ever asked, and I mean that. In 12 years, I do not recall a single time, not once, where she was late, not a single time where she missed without having pre-planned it. She has been truly a godly example of being faithful to what we have asked her to do. Miss Jerry, we are so thankful for you. We thank God for you. There is no way for us to recognize that what God is doing in our church and the health and growth of our church without the effort that she's been doing in the church office. She is retiring at the end of the year. She has just a few more days, all right? Uh, but I wanted our church to give her a round of applause, a thank you to Miss Jerry Spradling. We have a retirement gift for you, and I would also like to say a prayer for you, okay? Church, join me in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Ms. Jerry Spradling. God, thank you that we have been co-workers together now for a long time. And God, thank you for the way that you've used her. God, thank you for the way that she was truly dependable and there for us. We are a better church because of her, and we thank you for that. God, as she retires and moves on to whatever is the next season of life, may she continue to trust in Jesus. May she know your love and joy and peace in her life. And we ask your blessing on her. God, thank you for Jerry and the ways that you've used her here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you, Jerry. Yeah, you're welcome. The next thing I want to do is I want to lead our church in a time of prayer for the uh, devastation that we've seen in our state and around our state uh, because of the tornadoes. Um, the Kentucky Baptists work really hard with disaster relief. If you have any interest in being involved with that, well, we can get you involved. If you'd like to go down there and work on disaster relief, you can. If you'd like to give toward that, you can do that. If you would like to be a part of building back those communities, we can get you involved. We have lots of people from this area that are going. If you would like to, then let us know. But for now, as a church, we want to be praying for them, okay? Church, please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we bow ourselves down before you because we are reminded yet again this weekend how fragile our lives are. God, here in Fairdale, we lost power. We're still out of internet and cable TV. But Father, those are hardly things we can complain about when we look down south and we see of so many people who have lost lives. Father, we are reminded that you are a big and strong and powerful God and that our lives are quite fragile. Father, we pray for you to get glory through this. We pray, dear God, that you would comfort those people. We pray that you would help those communities. 
God, we are able to think about how there are uh, families that were struggling before this that are now devastated. God, there are babies that are going to be without parents, and there are children that are going to be without parents, and there are needs on top of needs on top of needs. Father, we ask for you to work there. We ask for there to be support coming from any and every direction. We pray for there to be helpers and workers and people that sacrifice and extend that are desiring and willing to go help. God, we pray that you would provide for these people in such a huge need. God, help us to not be a congregation that stands a few miles and hours away and thinks, well, that's out of sight, out of mind. God, help us to be aware that where there are people suffering, we want to do what we can to love and help them. God, we also think of the churches down there that have been wrecked and that are struggling now, perhaps not even able to meet this morning, dealing with so much loss. God, we pray that you would bless them. We pray, God, that they would trust you and that you would build them back. Father, we pray that from Kentucky, from Louisville, from Fairdale, and from all around, God, that there would be a lot of support and relief that goes there to help them. God, have mercy on those areas of our state. May you build them back. God, we ask your blessing on those people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, the next thing I want to do is I want to... um, Invite up our uh, guest family today. This is the Lanford family. I'm going to ask them to go ahead and come up. They've been staying with us all weekend. Had 18 people in our house this weekend. Y'all just make your way here. After two years of college... God called me into ministry. I ended up at North Greenville University in the fall of 2000 to finish out my bachelor's degree. And I was there to play basketball. And the first teammate I met in August of 2000 was this dear brother right here, Josh Lanford. I was there because I loved the Lord and I wanted to go into ministry. And they were having, before classes started, they were having a tent revival outside on campus. And so in the fall of 2000, I went to a tent revival. I sat by myself to listen to Dr. Ron Lynch preach. Josh might remember that. And while I was sitting by myself, he came up and sat down beside me. And he said, I hear your name's Josh, and that you're on the basketball team. And we have been friends and teammates truly ever since. Uh, Josh, is your mic on? I hope so. Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, before we pray for them and, and Josh preaches, I just want to ask them, Josh, why don't you uh, introduce your family to us? I will. Thank you, Josh. I, I remember that time quite well because I've been praying for a couple years that God would send me uh, a co-laborer on the team. Uh, our team was a mess spiritually. We weren't much better on the court. Um, and, and Josh was a real godsend to the team, and I watched God use him uh, just wonderfully on the team as, as an outsider, as a new guy coming in to some guys that have been on the team before. And uh, we knew Val before they were even a thing. And to see her heart for international students on campus and just to see God bring them together and what God's done through y'all, um, we're just honored, honored, honored to be here this morning. I'll introduce you to my family. Uh, it may take a minute, but my lovely bride, many of you women got to uh, meet with her yesterday. She is the light of our family, the glue of our family. Um, I knew it from a very early age that she was 
um, a diamond, and I, I waited on her. We got married at a young age, started making babies at a young age, and so that's why she looks so young <laughs> is because she is young, um, and her name is Candace. Our oldest is right here, Joshua. He has uh, got his license, 16 years old, so be aware if you're out there. Uh, we'll let him drive the van home later this afternoon. Caleb, his younger brother, is right beside him. Jedediah is number three. He was our first one born in Indonesia, so that was over 13 years ago. So that lets you know a little bit how, about how long we've been there. Our second born in Indonesia, our first little angel from the Lord, Lessie Ruth, is right there. She's 11. Then we had Matthias. Uh, he's nine. Asa, you can't see him. He's hiding behind the podium, but he's a stud. <laughs> Asa, step, step out. Of, I can see you real quick. I know you love the limelight. Oh, man. <laughs> and then we kept trying to get a sister for little Lessie, and the Lord finally gave us Julianne, whom we called Juju, uh, three and a half years ago. And so she's the last one right there. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you all do. They are missionaries in Indonesia, Southeast Asia. Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So uh, 2008, after the Lord had given us an unusual heart and, and love for Muslims, we went on a short-term trip in 2006. Candace and I left our one-year-old Joshua behind with the grandparents through an extraordinary week of serving over there. Uh, the Lord called us to Indonesia through a homeless lady who many of you ladies got to hear her story yesterday named Uni. And we moved our family back over there, had two babies at the time in 2008, and have been serving there ever since. We served with an organization called Global Year um, out of First Baptist Woodstock, a little small church outside of Atlanta. Uh, Dr. Johnny Hunt has been our longtime mentor. You may know that name. Um, and so we've been serving over there. And the thing we do with Global Year specifically is we host students from America, usually post high school or post college, for a one year, gap year, heavy discipleship, and integrate them into the ministry over there in Indonesia. Um, our professional platform is I'm a basketball coach. And so I kept coaching uh, from my college days, been coaching ever since. Just had a game last night, Friday night, sorry. And that's why we drove up early yesterday morning. And so um, I've been working with the national team of Indonesia for the last eight years, running basketball academy. So that's my professional identity. They don't know us as missionaries over there. We believe all of us who are followers of Christ are missionaries somewhere. And so we just happen to be coaching basketball in the largest Muslim country in the world, that being Indonesia. Okay. Uh, we watch videos like that. We, we send our money. But just to be quite honest, there's often a disconnect of how different the world is in different places. Y'all know that well. Mm. The last question I'm going to ask you today, and, and then you're going to preach after I pray for you, but uh, is God really working in places like that? I mean, we hear that countries like that are 99 point whatever percent Islam. Uh, it, are, are there believers there? Is God saving people there, changing lives there? Would you speak to what the Holy Spirit is actually doing? Yeah, I, it, it struck a chord with me again watching the video from North Africa earlier because we, we sat where you sat and we watched videos like you just watched. And we said, God, surely not us. We're just some nobodies from nowhere, South Carolina. Um, but God kept tugging, kept pointing and saying, you're either going to be obedient or not. And so we go. And at the time, the largest unreached people group in all of Indonesia was the Makassar people group that didn't have any long-term workers there. And that was in 2008. And the Makassar people uh, combined with the Bugis people combined make about 8 million. And when we went there, it was 0. .00001 believers amongst those 8 million, less than 1,000 believers. And for us, that was just overwhelming. Um, the need is great, but God reminded us early on he didn't call us there because the need was great. He called us there for what he wanted to do in and through us. And so we were just faithful, and we just prayed, God, move the decimal point. At some point while we're here, let us witness the decimal point move. Just one 
one thousandth of a point. And by God's grace, it took a lot of plowing and a lot of sowing and a lot of other people praying. Folks like you who never heard of the Makassar people before heard about them, started praying on a regular basis, and we got to witness God's grace falling down on these people. And it started out with two, and then it was a dozen, and then it was 20, and then it was a couple hundred, then it was a couple thousand, to where now, some 12 years later, there's been tens of thousands of Makassars and Boogies turn away from Islam and the lie that has so dominated their life and turn to a personal relationship with Christ our Savior. And um, so much so that we can't even keep up with it anymore. And that's what we kind of prayed from the beginning. Um, I got a video on my phone this morning, Josh, sitting in your living room. It's dark. Christmas lights are on. Poppy comes out. And uh, we're, we're reading the, the scriptures together. And I get a video on my WhatsApp. And it's one of my dear brothers sends a video saying, pray, pray for me. He's on his motorcycle. He's an Indonesian brother. And he's driving through this carved out mountain trail up to preach the gospel this morning in Indonesia. And that's commonplace every Sunday. And he's saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, as he's driving up because the rain had stopped. There had been much flooding over the last week. And so that to them is an opportunity um, that they almost embrace it. The harder it is to get there, the more proud they are that they get to go and preach the gospel. And so we got to hop in a warm van and drive two miles to come to church. And they're driving up the side of a mountain to get the gospel to people who are hungry to hear. And so... Um, because of that, God is faithful in, uh, in answering your prayers and our prayers to open up the hearts and minds of Muslims because there's no religion that's so powerful or so hard or so deeply entrenched that the gospel can't penetrate. And we've had the honor of just getting to witness it. Awesome. And church, we are glad that they're here. God is working. Now we're going to have the opportunity to hear, hear them preach. They're a wonderful family, strong marriage, strong parenting. Uh, Josh is an ultra competitor. I like that a lot. He is a great basketball player. He's a really good ping pong player, too, if you care about that. Uh, I, I, I love this guy and love this family. Let's pray for them, <laughs> and then we'll hear them preach, or hear Josh preach, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Lanford family. God, thank you for Josh and Candace. God, thank you for bringing them together, for saving them, setting their eyes upon Christ, and then giving them a family. God, children are a gift from you, and we praise you for that. God, I pray that you would bless them. God, as they continue to seek out what is, what is life going to look like post-COVID or during COVID or down the road, Lord, I pray that you would lead them and guide them. God, I thank you that he has and, and they have such an energy or a desire to serve you in, in parts of the world where it is challenging. And God, I pray that you would continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to use the gospel ministry there to draw people to Christ. God, bless their family. Keep them united. God, keep them focused on you, guard them from sin, use them for your glory. And now, God, we ask that you would bless the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If I'm good at ping pong, I don't know what that says about Josh because I have never beat him, not once. And I've tried hundreds because of my ultimate sort of competitive nature. I've tried hundreds, so much so last night we came up here just for a game to five before we picked up the pizza and he beat me 5-0. So if I'm really good, I don't know what that means about him, but um, we love the Greens, we love Josh and Valeria, uh, we love you guys. Even though most of you, we have never met you, uh, we've been coming to Fairdale for 15 years. So many of you who were here that many years ago remember Josh and Allison Powell, 
Uh, they were mentors of mine when I was a single guy at North Greenville. And so we're still in touch with them today, some of our dearest friends in the world. And so we've been coming here for 15 years. Every two or three years, we'll stop by and we'll spend the night or we'll get a meal. And uh, we've begun to pray and, and hear stories of what God is doing amongst you. And so for us, this is such an honor just to be in your presence. Because even though most of you we have never met, uh, we have fallen in love with you and, and have grown to, to care and pray and be invested in what God is doing in and through you. And so know that your reputation, your testimony is spreading and that God is using you and it's encouraging other believers. And so for us, this is a big moment in history. Uh, as we think about moments, though, I'm a guy, um, I'm, my wife thinks I'm ultra sentimental. I'm the guy that like, oh, this is the last time we're doing this, or this is, you know, this is the last double Sunday before Christmas. Uh, I'm not that bad, but um, um, I'm, I'm a big moment in time kind of guy. And because I know that moments come and go, and I know that if we're not ready for those moments, we'll miss them. Uh, but I do know this, that our God is sovereign and that a million different choices had to be made for you and I to be in this place this morning. And never before in all of history has this exact group of people been here at this time. And truth be told, never again will it happen. This group of people will never gather, not this exact group. I know for one, I've never been here on a Sunday morning before, so this is my first time. So if I'm the only oddball, but if you are a first time visitor, let me give you a little bit of a precursor. I am not a preacher. Okay, I am a basketball coach. I spend every day at some point on the basketball court. And so if you're looking for good preaching, come back next Sunday. Don't judge the church based on what you hear this Sunday. And so uh, just get that out there so all of y'all can just relax and say, you know what, he tried, you know. Um, but as a basketball coach, I don't, I don't intend to preach at you this morning. I don't even uh, intend to really teach you anything new, but I do want to coach you a little bit. Now, don't worry. Um, I left my whistle in the van, Jay Green, so there'll be no wind sprints up and down the aisles, um, but I do want to introduce you or remind you of some truths from the scripture, and I want to motivate you to engage in them, and I want to maybe uh, set up some accountability for you so that you actually obey what you hear, all right? It would be so sad if we were to come in here week after week after week and hear the word of God, the, the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword and leave not changed. And I've said this to myself, and I said it to myself this morning as I was praying, and I'll say it to you, that by being here, have a responsibility. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you did last night, no matter what's coming this afternoon, no matter what heartache you bring in here, no matter what struggle, God has you here for his purposes. And this, in these last few moments where we've been singing and we've been praying, you've been preparing preparing your heart to do something that most people in the world never get the opportunity to do, and that is to hear the word of God, to read the word of God. Most people on this planet, billions and billions, will be born, they'll live, and they'll die, and never get the opportunity that you've had time and time and time again. That type of encounter requires some type of preparation. So no matter where your mind or heart's at right now, just quietly in your soul say, Lord, prepare my heart. Prepare my heart to encounter your word in a fresh way, even though you may have heard it dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of times that God would speak to you and me in a fresh way this morning so that we may change. If we walk out these doors in a moment and we haven't changed to become more like Christ, if our mind hasn't shifted, if we haven't grown in our all of God, it's the only person's fault is yours. 
It's your opportunity to encounter the living God through his word so that we may change. And so if we want to do that together, let's pray and then let's open up God's word as we prepare our hearts to encounter it so that we may be changed. Let's pray together. Father, open our hearts, open our eyes that we might receive wonderful words from your law. God, we know our hearts are distracted. We know our minds are far from you and the things of you. And yet we're so grateful that you brought us to this place where for decades and decades and decades and generations have gathered to honor your holy name. Let us not fall victim to just tradition of just showing up, but God, may we have a fresh encounter with you from your word that we might be changed and so that we may be sent out to change the world for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles with me to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. I am so excited about this word that came to me from a Dutch lady who came with her family to the city of Makassar a couple summers ago. And when the Europeans go on vacation, they call it holiday. When we go on vacation, it's like when you get home from vacation, I don't know about you, but it's like you gotta take a vacation from your vacation. Everything's rushed and you're like, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, it's a lot of travel. I feel stressed out. Europeans holiday, and I was so impressed with this family, uh, a mother, her husband, and their four or five kids, I forget how many, came to Makassar and spent their two-month holiday traveling from city to city every week in Indonesia, participating in mission work. And this mom, who looked like she had been on a plane forever, came stressed out with all their kids, been jet lagged, and she gets up and does a devotion for our group one morning, and she shares this passage, and God used it to smack me upside my head. And I've been wrestling with it ever since, and I finally get to share it with somebody beside my wife, and my wife is excited about that. All right, Isaiah 49, we're gonna focus primarily on verses three and six, but before we get to that, I wanna introduce it through verses one and two. You read there as I read aloud. Listen to me is the first words of this chapter, drawing our attention. O coastlands, and give attention. This is not by mistake that he knows we like children need to be called to attention. Otherwise, you're gonna miss what God is about to say through him. You peoples from afar, the Lord called me from the womb from the body of my mother, and he named my name. Maybe that's all you need. I'm just trying to read through this. I don't wanna preach these two verses, but I just can't help to pause right here because somebody maybe just needed reminded that the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, created you in your mother's womb, and he knows you by name. You may feel like you're all alone, that nobody really cares about you, that you're feeling some loneliness, and you came here as kind of just the thing to do, and you need to be reminded that your creator knows you by name. Verse two, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. God has been preparing you. It may not look like the arrow next to you, but you are a polished arrow. Every life experience, both good and bad, Without the fire forged, the knife doesn't become sharper. He's been sharpening you through all those hard times, through all those deaths, through all those illnesses, through all those struggles, through all that heartache. He's been preparing you, and you've been in his shadow. He's hiding you away. 
ready to do what only arrows can do, and that is to be sent out. You've been prepared to be sent out. Whether you realize it or not, from your mother's womb, you have been called by the creator, each one of us, to verse three. To what role? And he, the Lord, said to me, Isaiah, you are my servant. Let's park here a minute. A servant. We are first called to be a servant, a slave to God. And yet so many people, especially us in church, we believe this lie that in order to serve God, we have to be in some position, that we have to be a professional minister, that we have to work at a church, or we have to have the title of missionary or works for some religious organization. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Each week, I've been leading a Bible study this past semester at a local gym that just opened up in my city. I got to know the owner, and I said, hey, what about adding a spiritual element to this? He said, what do you have in mind? I said, why don't we start with praying before each workout? It's one of those group workout things where you do it like 45 minutes, and the next class comes in 45 minutes, that sort of thing. He said, sure, let's do it. So I start praying, and God starts moving. People come up to me before the workout, like crying after I'm praying. I'm like, what in the world? It's like God prepared this moment. I'm just showing up trying to like, you know, pray. I mean, like pray, just, just pray. And then it led to a Bible study starting, a men's group Bible study, and about 15 guys, most of which are far from God, most of which don't go to church, of like 11 of the 15 don't, and yet we've been studying together that God has given us these jobs, these positions. Most of these men are very successful. Uh, they pay a lot of money to work out, and uh, they've got all their, their ducks in a row, and yet they're still empty. They're still missing purpose in life, and we're learning together through studying of the scriptures that God has given them the position they have in order to serve others, yes, but to serve God. And that's where the bridge is being gapped. And so if you haven't yet realized it, or you need to be reminded that no matter where you are in life, whether you're retired, whether you're a student, or you're somewhere in between, whatever occupation that God has given you is your opportunity to be a servant. A servant, yes, to whatever you've been called to do, but more importantly, to serve the Lord. Those avenues of which you go to each and every day are just opportunities to build relationships with people in order to serve them and then thus serve the Lord. Now, we see this in Jesus all throughout the Gospels. Am I right? Constantly, we see Jesus meeting physical, emotional, emergency needs all with a spiritual need in mind. When's the last time you've leveraged your position as a carpenter, as a garbage collector, as a sound man, as a teacher to speak life, to speak the gospel into somebody's life? The difference in order for that to take place is a mindset. And oftentimes it's a daily changing of our mindset. It's the decision to be intentional at where God has us in the mundane task of the day in order to serve others to serve our Lord. This change of mindset is the difference between not serving God and serving God on a daily basis. The problem is though, if we were to have a sign-up sheet in the back and said, hey, who wants to come to the Christmas party? Many would sign up. Who wants to come to the women's event? Many would sign up. Who wants to do this or that? But if we say, who wants to just sign up to serve in whatever way we can think of? Who signs up to be a slave? Not many. 
They'd ask questions. Well, when does it fit in my schedule? Well, is it convenient? Is it going to be a little bit uncomfortable? Is it going to fit in between my beauty salon session and my soap opera? I don't know where that, people don't watch soap operas anymore, right? Some of the men are like, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we, we want it to be convenient, right? But being a slave or being a servant of the Lord is, is never or rarely convenient. And if it's ever comfortable, it's probably not the definition of serving. Most of us in America are guilty of looking to Jesus like many were looking to Jesus in the, in the, in the Gospels. They were looking for lunch and miracles. They were looking, looking for what God, what Jesus could provide for them. And how did Jesus respond to them? In John 12, he responded to them this way, starting in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Being a servant of the Lord is not a very glamorous life, but serving the Lord is the abundant life. It is the life that has purpose and meaning. That may feel a little bit weighty. It may feel like there's some guilt involved, but I want each one of us to take a deep breath and remember that God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me to serve him. He doesn't need you. And yet he calls you, he honors you by giving you the opportunity to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is no higher honor than to be a servant of the King. Does your life look like that? Does my life look like that of a servant? Do we serve others as we serve the Lord? When was the last time you washed somebody's feet? I can remember the last time I washed somebody's feet. It was last year, I went to a couple's retreat and one of the activities was washing our spouse's feet. And that was wonderful and that was beautiful. But I promise you, my wife would much rather I make her coffee and take the kids to school and fold the laundry than wash her feet. You feel me? All you women are like, yep. Stay away from my feet and just make me some coffee, okay? And so serving doesn't always mean we get down on our hands and knees and scrub somebody's feet, even though that's a good place to start posture-wise in a state of humility, but it's, it's in the daily task, and it's really all about attitude, right? We're gonna see an attitude switch here in the next verse. Before we get to the next verse, though, we see in verse three, I'm not even out of verse three, I promise you I'm gonna speed up here in a minute, all right? After God calls his servants, he makes a promise. God's promise in verse three says, in whom I will be glorified. In whom I will be glorified. He promises us that he will be glorified through your life and mine when we humbly become his servant. That means our life matters. This is great news. We don't have to waste our life. I believe that we would all agree that our sole purpose on earth is to bring glory to God to bring glory to our creator. And if we also believe with the theme of scripture in our church fathers that our creator is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, then we can conclude that a satisfied servant is the posture with which we can claim the promise that God will be glorified 
in us. That's the recipe. I'm a coach. I need for A plus B to get me to C. All right, if you are gonna fulfill your calling here on this planet, and that is to glorify your creator, and you know through the theme of all of scripture that that is most accomplished when you are satisfied in him and him alone and none of the extras, all the other good things and all the other bad things, the temporary pleasures, the pleasures of family and friends and Christmas and all these great things the earth has to offer, but ultimately you are satisfied in Christ alone. You pair that with being a servant and you can't fulfill your calling on earth any better. A satisfied servant. But then verse four comes along. But I said, The Lord was speaking. Now we hear Isaiah's response in verse four. But I said, I have labored in vain and I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Now what happened here to Isaiah? It's happened to me more times than I would care to admit and probably this last week a couple times. I'm I'm a coach and so I'm disciplined and I'll do A, B, and C. And my wife will say, hey, here's your honey-do list. Do this, this, and this. And I'll do it, but then I'll turn like Isaiah. I'll think I was serving, but what was, what was needed in my service? It was an attitude change. Because what did I want from my wife when I did A, B, and C? I wanted some recognition. I wanted some praise. All those wives are out there like, it's a problem all of us men have. We need to hear that we're doing, we're like little kids, right? Like, good job, good job, little, you know, little Tommy. Like, we want that. But if I'm doing it with, for that reason, I'm going to end up like Isaiah, whining and complaining. God, I thought I did this for you. Was it all in vain? Was it all in vain? Wouldn't that be a sad life to live your entire life and look back over and say, was all this in vain? When all we needed to do was change our attitude, change our focus away from serving our spouse to serving God through our spouse. I'm still working on it 17 years in. Some of you older gentlemen, if you figured it out, help me. Help me. When you choose to become a servant of the Lord, you often feel like Isaiah felt, that you have spent your strength for nothing and it's all in vain. That's why when we fall victim to that type of thinking, we must remember the promise of the one we are serving. When we serve man, we can't focus on man. We have to focus on the creator of man, God himself. Because feeling unappreciated is as common as change itself. Everything will change. Kids will grow up, they'll move away, they'll have their kids, people will die, but the promise of the Lord remains. His promises never change. Verse five, and now the Lord says, and this is so good by Isaiah, a truly inspired author, prophet of the Lord, before he says what the Lord says, he quotes the Lord and describes him this way. And you'll you'll find it to be familiar. He says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. He just said this in verse one, God created me in the womb to be a servant. He called me to be a servant. He promised he would be glorified through me. And then he started whining and complaining. And then he'd repeat it back to himself. Anybody ever been caught in that cycle? Want to do good, you fall. You want to do good, you fall. You want to do good, you fall. You got to keep reminding yourself of the truth and don't get off the wagon. Why does Isaiah say we were formed in our mother's womb to be a servant? Verse five in the middle, 
to bring Jacob back to him. Now, just to be clear, Jacob was not like his younger brother, right? It wasn't his buddy out in the wilderness to go and get him and bring him back. Jacob was his tribe. Jacob was his family. Jacob was his people. And so he was called to be a servant to bring Jacob back and that Israel, his nation, might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. You see what happened there in one verse? Isaiah's mindset shifted. It went from whining, complaining, reminding himself of the truth, and now he's not claiming his own strength or ability, but he's claiming the Lord's strength. I don't know about you guys, but I've wasted many, many moons in my life trying to do good things in my own strength. And each time I fall flat on my face and God allows it and says, okay, you through trying now? You through trying to be the hero? You through trying to win this? You gonna let me take over? I heard a cute little story this past week about the woodpecker. If you've heard it, stop me, but don't. The woodpecker is on the telephone pole and he's, he's pecking away and all the other woodpeckers are on the other side of the street and they're like, old Woody, he keeps pecking away but he's, he's never gonna get that post down. And Woody's just and then out of nowhere, lightning strikes from heaven and splits that post in half. And Woody sticks his chest out and he walks around. All the other birds are like, whoa, Woody. It's a silly story to say God can do more in five seconds than we can do in a lifetime of pecking away. Don't be a Woody. I'm so guilty of being a Woody. And I'm like Woody as well. When God actually shows up, I take credit for it. Let us not be guilty of taking glory from God. But let us be reminded that as children, we are called to be servants and that we have the strength of the Lord. So, that, so what's the purpose? Why did God call us? We saw it in the verse to bring Jacob and Israel. For us personally, that means we are to call God's children to be gathered to him. That's God's purpose for each one of us. That is God's expectation. That is God's mission for all his servants here on earth to bring, to gather, to reap, to harvest his children, his people from your family and mine, from your neighborhood and mine, from your workplace and mine. It is a high calling. God's promise is clear. For my God has become my strength. This is no small thing. This should give much encouragement. This is a huge statement and promise of God. One that is also reflected in the Great Commission. After Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says, go to the nations, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. And what does it say at the end? And lo, I will be with you. I will be your strength. God doesn't call you across the street. God doesn't call you down the hallway. God doesn't call you to make the phone call to that broken family member. God doesn't call you at your family Christmas gathering to have that awkward conversation in your own strength. He says, I'll be with you. Just show up and open your mouth. Just show up and have the heart and the posture of a servant. Now, if we left after verse five and went home, I pray like me that you would leave encouraged and challenged and reminded that we're called to be a servant to our friends and our family and our coworkers and to our community and to the schools around us, that that is a strong and high calling. 
But then verse 6 comes. Most of y'all are looking down already. But before you look down at verse 6, if I'm a coach, Jay Green, and the fourth quarter's coming, I'm calling a timeout. Because this is a game changer for us. All right, this is how God teaches us. He sets us up. He convicts us. He tells us what to do. And then he comes in with a special strategy in the fourth quarter that blows the other opponents away, that takes away all the excuses we just built up about how I can't reach my brother, how, how my brother who's in rehab who left just last Friday, how you can't reach him. And then my sister who canceled Christmas last year and she's far from God and I'm gonna see her in a couple weeks. How can I reach out to her and, and mend the gap and, and bring her into right relationship with God? And he reminds you of all these excuses about how you can't do it, and then he brings verse six. Let's read it. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Wow. That's the one that got me. That's the one that got me. And I had to read it over and over and over again. Let's read it again one time because you missed it. The first time I missed it too. It is too light a thing. I don't know about you, but at the end of my days, I don't want to stand before an almighty God and he said, you waste your life doing light stuff. You waste your life doing JV when I wanted you to be in varsity. You waste your life meddling and collecting seas by the seashore when I wanted you to take the gospel to the farthest places. Heaven, help me not waste my life. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant just to reach your family and your friends and your neighbors and even your nation, it says right there. But he promises this, I will make you as a light for the nations. For what purpose? That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You have been graced to be living in a country where the gospel is accessible and you can come without any fear and hear the truth. And that comes with a great responsibility. If you're comfortable, you're not where God wants you to be. But if you're a servant and you're a slave and you say, yes, God, whatever I gotta pray, whatever I gotta give, wherever I gotta go, whoever I gotta send, yes, Lord, forgive me because I don't wanna live living in the light side of things the small side of things. It was a beautiful setup, wasn't it? A royal setup that God had us comfortable reaching our friends and family and then told us it's not enough. So how do we do it? From Fairdale, Kentucky, how do we reach the nations? Lots of ways to do it. Here's three that I, that I listed out. One, you live as a servant wherever God has planted you. Right here in Fairdale, you live as a servant. And you pray in your heart for a people group that you may never meet in your life. You adopt a people group like I did at 20 years old when a missionary from Indonesia stood before my small little church in, in Powdersville, South Carolina, and he said, have you adopted a people group? And I thought I had to adopt a kid. I thought, I thought like, sign me up. I'm not even married, but like, if, if that's what it takes, I'm ready. He's like, no, silly one, just in your heart, like, just start praying, dude. I was like, I'll commit, like, how much? He's like, just start, like, once a week, put it on your calendar. This is back before we had digital calendars. I was writing it down there. I was praying once a week. And what happened in that, in that commitment? My heart changed. What God did with the prayers, I don't know. But I do know that God chooses to use the prayers of his children to bring about his will in other people's life. And so we started praying, and those were the seeds that started getting planted. Before we even thought about moving, some six years later when I was married with kids to a Muslim nation. So you start with prayer as a servant. Number two, you tell the story. 
you tell your story, your, your testimony, and you get to the gospel, you release the power of the gospel as, as plainly and as simply as you can that Jesus came, left heaven as a baby. Christmas time, what greater time to say, hey, have you ever heard, have you heard the Christmas story lately? Do you mind me sharing it with you? Happened to me a couple times this past week. Just got to share it just because I asked. Sure, I'd love to hear it. All right, and you get to share the gospel story about how he didn't just come as a cute little baby, but he came to die. That'll raise some eyebrows. The baby came to die. You explain the cross, and there's only forgiveness at the foot of the cross. You explain that Jesus is who he said he is because he rose again on the third day. You tell the story. First, you live as a servant. Two, you tell the story. And three, you leverage your influence to show others the way to the truth. Whatever your passions are, whatever your resources are, whatever your giftings are, you are all unique, and there's somebody in your life that'll only hear the gospel from you. You young lady, you stay-at-home moms, you retirees, all right, you dad who's leaving the house before the kids get up in the morning, there's somebody in your circle of influence that'll only hear the gospel from you. Leverage that influence. Bring the gospel to them. Now, we have a simple choice this morning. We can be obedient or we can disobey. It's that simple. Think about it. What would you do if someone was working for you and they constantly did not do what you asked them to do? You'd fire them, right? That would be the fair thing, the right thing to do. What about God? Are we obeying what he tells us to do? Are we living as a servant to those around us in order to share the gospel with people that are in and outside of your tribe, in and outside of your friend circle, in and outside of your family? If not, will God fire us? Will he fire you? What does the scripture say? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we're wrapping up here, folks, just a few more minutes. Hang on to me. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. You see, it's not an obedience issue first as much as it's a love issue. You see, the pattern God wants us to step into is not obedience first. That's what the religions of the world say. That's what Islam, Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world, they start with obedience. They say, obey, obey, obey. Follow these five rules after you say there's three things and you'll be a great Muslim. But that's what religion says. But Jesus says the opposite. He says, come to get to know me. Surrender your life to me and you'll learn to trust me. The more you know me, the more you'll trust me. And the more you trust me, then you'll fall in love with me and obedience will be an overflow of your love for me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But if you don't love Jesus or if you're limited in your love for Jesus, you'll be limited in your obedience. Isn't that what we want for our kids? We don't want our kids to obey us out of fear that we're gonna get punished. And that's a part of the process sometimes, but we don't want that to be the reason they obey. We want them to obey because they love us. It's the same with God. Will you obey him? If not, you need to check your love meter with him. And here is my closing promise for you and for me today from Romans 10. Starts in verse nine, a very familiar verse of scripture if you have grew up in church. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're saying, I've been struggling in my own strength my whole life, trying to do this church thing, trying to do this God thing. And I just keep failing and failing and failing. And maybe it's because you haven't believed correctly. What do I mean by that? Many Americans, many around the world, believe in God like I believe in this stool. Now, this is limited in its 
visual ability because I'm a big guy that's a little stool. <laughs> but many people believe in God like I believe this stool will hold me. All right, I believe a lot of things about God. I believe the Christmas story. I believe even the Easter story. I believe God in some way is sovereign and he's good, but I believe in God right there. And yet God says the kind of belief it takes to be in fellowship and have forgiveness of sins and have eternal life looks a whole lot more like this. You've got to trust him. You've got to surrender. It's the free gift that has cost him everything. It costs you nothing except your life. And here's the good news. The faith that's required to believe in him is a gift, and all you have to do is ask for it. You can't earn it. You can't come from a good family. You can't get yourself cleaned up first and come to God. You're disqualified if you try to clean up first. But if you come dirty, messed up, sinful, in need of a Savior, you qualify. Verse 9 is for you. Verse 10 is your response after you surrender. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For what's in your heart will come out in confession. If you're scared to admit you're a Christ follower where you live, you may want to evaluate first if you're a Christ follower. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes, trusts, fully embraces Christ in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The young man in North Africa or the young girl who came to our basketball academy at 11 years old, a little middle schooler who had a little feisty crossover. She shows up and she becomes part of our family for four years in Indonesia. She's one of 200 girls that came to us every week from a Muslim family. We, be we became close friends with her family and this young girl's name was Kofifa. And at the age of 16, her family trusted her with us for us to send her to a school, a private school in North Carolina in the Raleigh area, a host home who had four kids who just sent their last kid off to college who were empty nesters, I kid you not, for two weeks. And they got a phone call and said, would you be willing to host a 16-year-old girl in your home? And they said yes. And they took care of her for the next three years in high school. And through a series of dreams and her hearing the gospel and her going to church and her going to youth group every week after two and a half years she finally after counting the cost Kofifa surrendered her life to Jesus and now she's at North Greenville University and will be a sophomore this year and she's dating a missionary kid who grew up in Thailand how beautiful is God because verse 14 how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him? How is Kofifa to believe in him if she's never heard? How is Kofifa to hear without somebody preaching? And how is Kofifa to, to be able to preach unless, hear the preaching unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you believe today? Do you really believe? Believe enough to, to cause change in your, in your daily routine to reach the Kofifas of the world. He promises not to push you to shame if you confess him before others. Remember we started, I talked about me being a coach. One of the things that would seem ridiculous, silly, pointless, 
is that if I gathered my team for practice day after day, week after week, month after month, and even year after year, and all we ever did was practice and never went out and played the game, you would say, you're a foolish man and they're foolish for following you. And you would be correct. But wouldn't we too be called foolish if we were to gather in this practice time right here? This is practice, folks. We're gathering for worship, all right? We're encouraging, we're getting sharpened, we're working out our struggles, we're confessing them one to another, we're worshiping the Lord, we're growing. But this is just practice. When we walk out these doors into our homes, into our communities, into our schools, that's when the game begins. And if we don't take what we have in here and apply it out there, that would be a waste of time. That would be foolish. Let us not be guilty of being disobedient. Let us not be hearers only, but let us be doers of the word. How beautiful are your feet if they carry the good news to those whom have never heard. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our feet are only beautiful if you lace them with your grace. So God, help us to pray, not just for those near, but for those far. Not just to pray for comfort and safety, but God, let us pray that we might be willing to risk it all. Lord, help us to give. Help us not to give uh, just out of comfort, out of obligation, but Lord, help us to give until it hurts. Help us not just to give of our finances and of our money, but Lord, help us to give of our time and ultimately to give of our life. Lord, help us not just to go across the street, but Lord, help us to go across the world. Help us not just to send a card in the mail, but Lord, help us to send the gospel to those who may never hear otherwise. For your glory, help us to pray. Help us to give, help us to go, and help us to send. Not just in this Christmas season, but every day of our lives as a servant who is satisfied in you and you alone. For your glory, amen.